So in case you're wondering what we came here to do this morning, I think we just got our marching orders from that song, Behold Our God. That's what we're here to do. We're here to see the Lord. Uh, Not here for entertainment. Not here to hang out. Uh, We are here to behold our God, to see the living God, the God who made the heavens and the earth. And I think even more miraculously, uh, as we see the God who remakes a heart, Uh, As we think about Christian baptism, as we think about this union with Christ and the transformation that the Lord does in the heart of a sinner. You know, until we recognize the gravity and weight of sin, we really don't appreciate the miracle of salvation that uh, we have from infancy a heart that seeks only self, that does not love God and does not love neighbor, and that God would, would enter into the life of a person. And transform them from a hater of God, a disregarder of God, a rebel against God, a child of God's wrath, into a person who, from the heart, truly loves the Lord, trusts in Him, and seeks His will. And that's what we've witnessed here this morning, the miracle of salvation, the miracle of God as our Redeemer. So we just give him praise. We're grateful to be a part of this this morning, to be able to witness this. And I pray for you here this morning, if you're not a Christian, that you would give deep thought to what you've heard and what you've seen in this picture. This picture of salvation is meant to draw sinners to repentance and faith in Christ. It's meant to be an evangelistic picture. And so I pray that you have given attention to the picture with your eyes and now that you will give meditation to it in your heart. If you would go with me to Exodus chapter 16, Uh, that is where we are this morning for our time of instruction as we continue our worship service. It is one big worship service, and this portion of the service is devoted to instruction from God's Word. This is one of the ways that we worship the Lord, is by hearing and heeding his word. And so we're walking through Exodus. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been going through Exodus uh, for almost a year, and we are now in Exodus chapter 16, the latter half or so of that book. Last week, we started this chapter, and we were introduced to this substance called manna, uh, this uh, unique substance that uh, sort of has uh, its identity there, uh, its definition there, right in the moment with the question, what is it, which is the basis for this name, manna. The Israelites are in the wilderness. They are running out of food. They are hungry. The Lord has brought them out of Egyptian slavery. He's brought them out of bondage. He's brought them through the Red Sea. He's brought the water back down on their enemies. He's been with them in the wilderness, leading them with a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He is present with them, but now they are running out of food. They're hungry. And as verse 2 says, the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. So we're not talking about a little pocket of the people. We're not talking about uh, the the ragtag marginal parts of the people. We're not talking about the deviant aspects or anything like that. We're talking about the people as a whole. The whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And they go so far as to say this in verse 3. Would 
that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out, of this, out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. It's so fascinating that they say here, and appalling that they say here that uh, they would rather not have just died in Egypt as a, kind of a, just some sort of side effect of, of the destruction of Egypt, but that they would have been the objects of God's judgment. They would rather in this situation have been the objects of God's wrath, the objects of God's judgment, than to have been the objects of his salvation and to be in this predicament with no food. Better to have been blasted by the Lord in Egypt than to be empty-bellied in the wilderness. And they are really grumbling against the Lord, as Moses tells them. So they think in their minds, at least as they're verbalizing it, they're grumbling against Moses and Aaron. But Moses tells them, no, you're grumbling against the God who brought you out of Egypt, the God who has rescued you. Moses is the little d deliverer. God is the capital D deliverer. God is the one who brought them out of Egypt and has brought them into this situation. He is the one who has brought them to this point of no food. And we talked last week about how this grumbling can be defined from the passage. We get a lot of, uh, of insight into the nature of grumbling from this passage. Uh, we see that it is forgetting blessings. It is distorting reality and attacking God's character. And when we realize that all of that is packed into our grumbling and our complaining, as I said last week, it is more akin to blasphemy than grumpiness. And we do that, all of us, we have a tendency to minimize our sin. Uh, we see it, uh, we shrink it, put it up on a shelf somewhere, and then it's not so bad when we pull it back out or we take hold of it and use it for a moment and then put it back up because it, it's so small. But when we realize what grumbling is, what complaining is at the core, that it's a dismissal, it's a, a forgetting of all that God has done for us in our lives. It takes the reality of God's goodness and the reality of the situation and it distorts it such that we would rather be in an awful situation in truth than to be where we are, where God has placed us. And it attacks God's character, his wisdom, his goodness, his oversight of our lives, his providence, his perpetual care. It attacks God's glory. Yet, what we find in this story is God's amazing grace. We see this complaining, this grumbling, and we see that it is met by God's amazing grace. Their protest is met by his patience and provision. Where they grumble, the Lord gives. They complain against God, they protest against God, and God heaps blessings upon them. He is with them patiently and kindly, long-suffering, gracious to his people. He gives them food to eat. And in this, the Lord is revealing aspects of his nature. Who is the Lord? 
The people of Israel are, are just getting really to know more and more about this God. Uh, they've seen his power, his sheer might. They've seen his judgment. They've seen his salvation. We, we've heard from them in chapter 15 how they view this God and the ways in which their theology is getting filled out more and more as they've come to a deeper understanding of who he is. But by the time you get to Exodus 34, the Lord will reveal to Moses his name. And when he does that, when he says, this is who I am, he begins that by saying, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger. So that's what we're seeing about the Lord in this passage. That's what the Israelites are are grabbing hold of about the Lord their God, is that he is a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger anger. First, he gives them quail for that particular evening, and then the next morning, he begins providing a more permanent solution. So he gives them a feast, gives them a feast on that first night, and they wake up the next morning, and they have the first day of the provision that they will have for the next 40 years. Bread from heaven, as the Lord calls it, or as it came to be called by the Israelites, manna. Taken from the question in Hebrew, what is it? So today we move from what we looked at last week with the provision of this food. We move to the situation that the Israelites find themselves in where they now have this food. They now have this provision from the Lord. We move to a focus now on obedience. Obedience to the Lord in the midst of this provision. In the midst of their eating. And so the title for the sermon this morning for these verses is Obedient Eating. God has provided and now he will test his people's obedience as they eat. How will you eat, Israel? How will you take hold of the blessings which I have given you? How will you, what will you do with this provision? And we see this as he told Moses in verse 4, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. Not just a, a few things out there they have to go look for, you know, like they were looking for the stubble in order to make those bricks. But this is just out there. They walk out of their tents and it's covering the ground. God will rain bread from heaven, it says, for you. And the people shall go out And gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. So this is a test. This blessing, this gift is a test for the people. Will the people use this gift from God properly? Will they use it, let me say it this way, Under God's authority. Will they take hold of God's gifts under God? Obediently directing it back to him as worship. So let me just say to us this morning, you know, we're all in different places in life. We're all going through different situations according to God's providence. But let me ask you this. What if this is exactly what God is doing in your life right now? So you're entering into the new year. We're well in at this point. 
And that causes us to reflect, even if you're not a resolution person, probably as we start to write a three on the end of the year, we're thinking, okay, this is new, this is fresh. We're reflecting on our lives, reflecting on our situation, reflecting on the, the, the ways in which God has blessed us. What if this is exactly what God is doing in your life? What if God is testing you with blessings? He's not testing you with the trial of hunger right now. He's testing you with all the food that he's given you. What will you do with those good gifts? We, we, we can think in terms of God's test only coming in the midst of trials. I, I've gotten a bad diagnosis from the doctor. This is a trial. This is a test. I'm going through a difficult time in my marriage. This is a, a trial. This is a test. What about this? Everything is beautiful. Everything is sweet. Everything is cheerful. Everything is piled up high. This too may be a test. What will you do with those good gifts? Will you receive them from the Lord's hand obediently? Or will you take it and run? Take it and turn. Take it and forget. Take it, embrace it, live in it, have it, use it, and forget God. And forget his word. If you would please stand with me as we read God's word together. Today I'm going to start at the beginning of chapter 16. We're in the middle of the words from Moses, so I don't want to just jump in there, but uh, I want you to see the context as it moves into verses 16 to 36. So a little longer than normal passage, but I can remember when we were going through Genesis. Uh, we went through Genesis 24. It's just kind of famous in my mind, 60-some verses. And so uh, this is half of, of that. So not too bad, I guess, if you're taking that perspective. So by bad, by the way, I don't mean reading God's word. I mean standing for this many verses. I know we have some pregnant ladies among us. So if you need to sit, uh, feel free. This is the word of God, Exodus chapter 16, and we're going to read the entire chapter. They set out from Elam, and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? 
And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Verse 9, then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. In the evening quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost, on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. And then we pick up today with our passage. Verse 16, This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Each one of you as much as he can eat. You shall take, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less, but when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, Let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid aside till the morning, laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather. But they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness, when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. 
and Omer is the tenth part of an ephah. You can go ahead and be seated. It's amazing that God did this for his people for 40 years. You know, the Red Sea is dramatic, but this is just so grand. For 40 years, God provides this day in and day out for his people. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his grace as we come to this time of instruction. Father, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful for how you use it in our lives. And we're thankful for how uh, you have used your word in various ways uh, throughout the lives of Micah and Wyatt. We praise you for their salvation. We praise you for the testimony of it given today. And we ask your blessings over them, God, that they would walk with you, that they would be men like Noah, like Abraham, who walked with you, Lord, but that they would confess their sins quickly and they would depend entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the grace that he brings by his spirit. Father, we pray that you would guide us through the service today and use your word today in the lives of your people to build us up and in the lives of those who are not your people among us today. Lord, anyone here who is not a believer, we pray that your word would go out And that it would not return void in this specific way. That it would bring salvation to those who do not know you. Lord, be gracious, be merciful. For this is who you have declared yourself to be. We praise you, God, that you are so patient and gracious with us. And we thank you for this reminder of it here in this story. We pray that that would give us sober-mindedness about our sin. That that would not cause us to be lax or presumptuous. Uh, That with Paul, we would say that uh, as he enters into chapter 6, that uh, because of your grace, we should not go on sinning, but we should turn from sin, realizing who we are in Christ, that we've died to sin and been raised to newness of life. Would we walk in that newness of life? And Lord, would you use this time of instruction from Exodus 16 to aid us in this walking in the Spirit, in this newness of life? We thank you for this time. We pray for your grace now and that your, your word would be clear to us and that your spirit would work in each of us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So verses 16 to 36 can be divided into three sections based on these recurring words. And this is what we read three times and it, it provides the skeletal structure for the book. So it says this, this is what the Lord has commanded. And as I said last week, this is the reason that I cut us off at verse 15 last week is because in verse 16, we get these words and they recur. They're there three times in this section. And I think they provide the skeletal structure for this entire section. This is what the Lord has commanded. And that's the reason why I've entitled the sermon, Obedient Eating. In the midst of their eating, they are called to heed The Lord's commands. So we see these words in verse 16, verse 23, and then again in verse 32. And what we find is that God gives commands concerning three things. And these are going to be our three points for today. So this is what the Lord commanded concerns three different things in this passage in the midst of this provision from the Lord. So here they are. First, the daily bread, verses 16 to 21. And then second, the weekly rest, Verses 22 to 30, and then finally the preserved memorial in verses 31 to 36. So the daily bread, the weekly rest, and the preserved memorial. Each of God's commands has to do with one of these three things. So let's look first 
at the daily bread. And we are going to go back and look at each section. So let's read verses 16 to 21 again, paying careful attention to what it is that the Lord says. So this is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each one of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. So here Moses instructs the Israelites how they are to gather the bread from heaven, the food that God gives to the people while they are living in the wilderness, God's gracious provision for them as they are in the desert. God will provide it every morning, And the people are to go out and gather it daily. And this takes us back to what God told Moses in verse 4. So you can look back at verse 4 at the very beginning of this passage as an immediate response to the grumbling of the people. It's amazing. You know, they grumble and God doesn't smite them. He says, this is what I'm going to give you. This is what I'm going to do for you. This is how I'm going to take care of you. This is how I'm going to provide for you. And it's amazing. <clears throat> we see that in our own lives. We, we grumble, we murmur, we're fussy with the Lord, with our situation. We, we don't like God's good providence. And, and God, he assures us of his care. And so we read this back in verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day. So how often will they gather? Every day. How much will they gather? A day's portion. So that leaves us with the question, what is a day's portion? And here Moses identifies it as an omer. An omer per person within each tent or household. And probably, if you have an ESV Bible, you'll see this, um, but probably, no matter which translation you have, there should be a little note in your Bible telling you that an omer is approximately two quarts or two liters. So if you just give, get a sense for how much of this substance, which would be baked and boiled and prepared for food, how much of this substance is given or allotted to each Israelite and uh, within each tent. One commentator, Dwayne Garrett, says this about the portion size, which I think this is helpful explanation. He says, the idea is not that every person necessarily ate one omer per day, but that the total amount each household got was based on the number of persons in the household. Thus, a household of five would get five omers. But some members, such as small children, may have eaten less, while others may have eaten more from that total. So it's kind of like this in our family when we're around the table. Our two-year-old oftentimes, and our six-year-old, will oftentimes have extra fries. And I'm looking at those extra fries. And when we get to the end of the meal, between 
me and my wife and our son, we, we, we spread out those fries and we don't leave any of those fries on the plate. So similar situation here, small children eating less, but others in the family eating more. But this is the allotment per uh, person per tent. It appears from the text that this gathering came in two phases. And we're not told this specifically here, but as we try to make sense of the description, as we try to read between the lines, it seems that this gathering came in two phases as it was practiced day in and day out in Israel. First, there was the gathering from the ground. And as verse 17 says, they gathered some more, some less. So you can imagine uh, some are going to gather Maybe you think of an older person uh, gathering less, and you think of a, a younger person gathering more. Some gathered less, and some gathered more. And this, this refers to the gathering from the ground itself, as the manna is there spread out on the ground for the people to get. But second, this gathering is then divided into identical portions, one omer per person. So at first, there's different levels of gathering, some gathering more, some gathering less. But then in the end, the result is one omer per person. So the end result, whether a person is able to gather a lot or a little, is what we read in verse 18. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And I think that says, in the end, at the the end result, at the end of the situation, each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And the allotment is an omer. John Calvin, in commenting on this passage, suggested that the initial gathering all went into one heap. And so you have the gathering up on the ground, and it just gets thrown into a large heap. And then an omer was measured out from that heap for each person. So those who gather more, put it in the heap. Those who gather less, put it in the heap. There are varying interpretations of this passage, but I agree with Calvin. It seems to me that that is a reasonable way to make sense of what is happening in these verses. And connected to his previous command from the Lord, Moses adds further detail in verse 19. So we get the initial command. This is what the Lord says. And Moses adds further detail about that, which can be traced back to verse 4, which we read a moment ago. This is what it says in verse 19. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. To this portion of the command, some of the people disobey. They leave some of it over until morning. They're storing it away, saving it away like a squirrel with nuts. They're sort of keeping it there for later. Little dessert portion or appetizer portion for the next day. Or maybe just not uh, wondering whether or not God's really going to give some for the next day. And so we're going we're gonna to hold on to this. Verse 20, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. And I think we are meant to understand here, this is a righteous indignation. Uh, This is like Christ when he goes into the temple and he casts out the money changers. Uh, This is a, a righteous indignation where they have disobeyed the Lord. 
It's not as though Moses is personally defended, uh, offended. Why, why didn't you listen to me? And I think it, this is a, a, a nice uh, implication for us as parents. You know, when we are dealing with our children, uh, their disobedience of us is oftentimes viewed as a personal offense, but it ought not to be seen in that way. Now, our, our anger with them or frustration with them should not come out of a personal offense, why didn't you listen to me, but rather an understanding of God's authority, an understanding of God's position over them. And we are God's representatives over them. And so it's not about us at all. It's about the Lord and his word and what he calls them to do as children, to honor their father and mother, to obey their parents in the Lord. So we see here a righteous indignation. Moses wants the people to listen to the Lord. Then we're given a final note in verse 21. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat, but when the sun grew hot, it melted. So now what I want to do is just try to tie all of this together and ask this question, what is God doing here and what are the implications for us? And I have just four things I want to draw your attention to here. So first, this passage teaches us daily dependence on the Lord. And that was precisely what the Lord was teaching the Israelites. And as we come to this text, and we understand, as Romans 15 says, that it's for our instruction, as those upon whom the dawning of the ages has come, we ask the question, what is the Lord instructing us in here? And most fundamentally, he is teaching us daily dependence on him. And we find this embedded in the Lord's prayer, uh, which was our call to, this portion was our call to worship this morning, give us This day, our daily bread. We pray to the Lord, not that he meet all of our financial goals that we've laid out for the next 50 years or whatever else. Not that all the things we want to happen next year and the year after that will work out as uh, as we've outlined it, as we expect it to work out, but rather that the Lord would provide what we need this very day. And it's hard for us in, in this country because we, we just don't live in that way. But there are many in the world who do. And we can't forget that. Many in the world who live as many did in Jesus' day. Wondering where tomorrow's meals or meal will come from. Give us this day our daily bread. A daily dependence on the Lord. They are not to store up but to trust that the Lord will provide for them on the next day. Now, it's important that we recognize here this is not meant to be swallowed down for us wholesale in this sense that we say, okay, we are not to store up at all for tomorrow. Uh, That would be foolish. And we know that from the entire testimony of Scripture, we recognize that what God is doing with Israel here is unique to this specific point in redemptive history and what God is doing with his people there in the wilderness. But the principle is still true for us. Are we storing up and storing up and storing up under the name of being wise, which in fact we should be wise, we should save, we should prepare for tomorrow. And you see this all over Proverbs. But at the same time, are we justifying all of our selfish, sinful, greedy 
untrusting storing up as wisdom. We call it whatever it is. We can call it whatever we want to call it, but it might not be what we're calling it. So there's a principle for us here as we think about our worries, as we think about our giving, as we think about all the time and energy and effort that we pour into preparing for and storing up for tomorrow, the principle here is daily dependence on the Lord. If all of our storing takes us away from that, can it be God's will? Second, Paul quotes this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 14 to 15. He's referring to the giving of the Corinthians to the saints in Jerusalem and to, the, to those who are impoverished. And he says this to them. He actually quotes from this passage and he says, Your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness as it is written. And then he quotes this passage. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. And so what are we to understand from this? Well, we are to give to those who lack rather than hoarding our God-given resources for ourselves. This is what it means not to worry about tomorrow. This is what it means for us to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Are we too busy storing up for ourselves treasures on earth for the future and therefore not storing up treasure for ourselves today? In heaven. So we see here the need to give, to care for others, those who do not have, with all the abundance that the Lord has blessed us with. And, and by the way, that may unsettle our future plans, that may cause us to shrink our future. Plans. But all the more, this is the way of Christ. Third, the people could not be lazy. They had to gather every single day. They couldn't go out and just get a big old wheelbarrow and go out there and just pile it up as high as they could, go dump it in the back of the tent and live off it for a month, just leisurely hanging out eating manna. That's not what they were supposed to do. Every day there was a rhythm, and that rhythm began with this gathering. And they had to gather in the morning before the heat melted everything away. So this is not a leisurely thing. This is not, you know, sleep until 11 and then roll out of bed, you know, and when you get to it, get out to the field and start gathering up the manna. This is not that. This is every day at the first of the day. And I think it reminds us that God gives, but we still have to gather. And we see this throughout Proverbs, too, the wisdom of diligence, of being like an ant and not being lazy. The Lord gives much in our lives, but he doesn't just drop it in our lap. He gives us the strength that we might go and work for what we have. God gives, but we still have to Gather. And then, fourthly, 
partial obedience does not make up for disobedience. And you'll notice in this passage that they do the first thing. And Israel did so. They did what Moses said. They, they did what the Lord commanded. They went out and they gathered. And they gathered the right amount. They weren't heaping it up. They gathered. They had the omer. They brought it to their home. There's obedience in this passage. We read it and, and we say, uh, this is great. And they, and they did it. They obeyed the Lord. But then we see their disobedience. They do the gathering, but then leave some for later. Or some of them leave some for later. And I think that reminds us that partial obedience does not make up for disobedience. It's not as though we can go through a season of obedience to earn some disobedient time. And sometimes when we're sinning actively, consciously, we rationalize it in that way. That's Satan's deception in our hearts that, you know, well, I've been really good. I've been really good. We don't actually say that. We know how atrocious that is to say. We don't even want to hear our own selves say that, much less anyone else hear us say that. But that's what's going on. I've been really good. I've listened to God. I've obeyed. And so now, eh, I just kind of do what I want. Doesn't work that way. So, first, we see the daily bread. Secondly, we see the weekly rest. Look at verses 22 to 30. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. I don't know how those who offer a natural explanation for this man, I get around this, just comes for six days and takes a day off. The insects take a day off or whatever it is, whatever reasoning they have for this. It just kind of does, and it does that for 40 years, six days on, one day off. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. What we find here presupposes what's already been said in verse 5. So remember, when God initially came and gave the, the responding to the grumbling, he gave that command to Moses. So back in verse 5, he said, On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. And it appears that at some point, Moses has already conveyed this command to the people. We're not told that, but we've seen that before in Exodus, where certain things are assumed to have happened. And it appears from the text here that at some point, Moses gave this command to the people. More will be provided on the sixth day, and double should be gathered. Why? 
because they are gathering for the seventh day as well. And so on the sixth day, they're gathering for the sixth day, and they're gathering for the seventh day. So after this double gathering takes place, the leaders come to inform Moses. <clears throat> That's what we get there at the beginning of this passage. They come to tell Moses that that is what has happened. The people have gathered the double portion on the sixth day. And so now Moses explains the reason why. And that's what we find here. This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. Now notice what he says at the very beginning. This is what the Lord has commanded. Once again, We are dealing with the relationship between the word of God and the people of God. What is that relationship? God speaks, we listen, and we obey. God is giving them a weekly rest. One holy day of rest per week to be kept unto the Lord. This is the Sabbath. It is uh, is embedded in this idea is the, the idea of worship. That they are keeping it as holy to the Lord. It is a set apart day in which the entire day is infused with this worship significance. Because it is unto the Lord. The gathering and preparing for the seventh day will take place on the sixth day. The result is what we see in verse 29. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. And miraculously, we are told here that the Lord will preserve week after week that second portion of manna. So it will not go bad. It's not going to have worms in it. It's not going to stink. So it says in verse 24, it did not stink and there were no worms in it. If they leave some left over on the other days, guess what? It gets worms It rots, it stinks, it's awful. But not on this day. If they leave some over on the other days, it will go bad. But every week, God will miraculously preserve the seventh day manna that is gathered on the sixth day. And this really is, this is incredible for the people of Israel. They saw the Red Sea, this amazing one-time event. But here, for all the years that they will be in the wilderness, they will constantly be confronted with miracles. The fact that, the fact that God keeps it another day when otherwise it would rot out. It would not last. But in the middle of this passage, what do we read? Once again, disobedience. Verses 27 to 28. On the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? The Lord here corrects his people, but he is gracious and patient with them in their disobedience. Some have disregarded the Lord's commands They have gone out to gather on the Sabbath day. And for these individuals, as we try to dissect a little bit what's going on in the heart of these individuals who on the seventh day, they're told, gather on the sixth day for the seventh day. And here they are on the seventh day, just rolling out of the tent, looking around for manna. It's not there. God said it would not be there. 
And he said, don't go out to get it. But here they are, going out to find the manna on the seventh day. Now, we don't know what's going on in the minds of these people who do that. It could just be pure neglect of the word. They just weren't listening. They're distracted. They, don't, they just don't care. There's not enough motivation in them to turn their ears to God when he speaks. Maybe it's just laziness in that respect, but I think we're to understand something here a little more willful and intentional. Their focus is the food, not the Lord. So rather, uh, regardless of whether this is some sort of neglect or disregard or just inattentiveness, or it's some sort of just blatant, I'm charging ahead to go get some more manna. Either way, the focus of these people is the food, not the Lord. We need to see that. And this is exactly what happens to us when the gift eclipses the giver. We talked about that a little bit in gospel community groups this past week on, from the deep sheet. When the gift eclipses the giver. And so think about that for us. You know, God has given us these things in our lives. But we will take these things and we will use them and have them in a way that is contrary to God's word. And when we do that, we recognize that the things that God has given us have become inflated. And God has become smaller. The gifts have eclipsed the giver. These occurrences of disobedience, of course, are little pointers to what's to come. They also remind us that we cannot keep God's law perfectly. They point forward to the history of Israel. These little instances are meant to tell the story of Israel. God will speak and the Israelites will not listen. All the way down till you get Manasseh and the evil that he perpetuates in Israel and, of course, the destruction of the southern kingdom of Judah. But even more, all the way down to the time of Christ when the word of God himself will stand in flesh in front of Israel and they will reject God's word in flesh. So all of this we recognize points forward. But as I said, it reminds us that we cannot keep God's law perfectly. We do not obey perfectly from the heart. Nowhere near it. And so we, like the Israelites, need a Savior. And during our reading of the Scriptures earlier, we looked at Matthew chapter 4. And there we get a picture of Jesus living the life that we cannot live on our own. We see Jesus there obeying the word of the Father. We see Jesus there saying, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And here's the thing. When Jesus says that, he's not just giving us a nice quotable verse that is a, a quote from Deuteronomy. He's also manifesting that in the moment. Jesus is saying, what I am doing now is not living by bread, but by the words from the Father. Jesus obeyed the Father perfectly. He obeyed on our behalf. He died in our place for our disobedience. And now by his spirit, he empowers us more and more every day to obey the Lord by his grace. We can't do this with Christ outside of us, but we must 
Listen, we must do this with Christ inside of us. Now, we'll say a little bit more about the Sabbath rest when we come to the Ten Commandments. So I'm not going to say too much about the nature of the Sabbath. We're going to unpack that more as we come to chapter 20 uh, when we look at the the Sabbath command in the Ten Commandments. Uh, It's unclear to what extent a Sabbath already played a role among the Israelites. So people debate this. Was there already some kind of seventh-day observance in the history of Israel? We don't know. Uh, What we do know is that this is the first mention of any kind of keeping of a Sabbath by people. However, we do get the basis for the Sabbath at creation. In Genesis 2, verses 2 to 3, And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And I think here we are meant to get a little bit of an understanding of what the Sabbath is as we see that it is a gift to the Israelites rather than a burden. We see this in verse 29, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. It doesn't say the Lord has put the Sabbath on top of you and you just sort of put it up on your shoulders and you carry it around as a great heavy weight. That's not the picture. The Lord has given you the Sabbath in verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. It's a gift for the people, not a burden. And we see this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. For the Pharisees, it was a burden to be placed on everybody and, and a means by which they could pat themselves on the back. But then Jesus comes along and says in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. It is a gift from the Lord for man's good. And as I said, we'll talk more about that when we come to the command in chapter 20. So as we finish up this morning, let's look at the preserved memorial. The third command that the Lord gives concerns this preserved memorial. Look at verses 31 to 36 as we finish up. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations." As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And then this little note here about an omer. An omer is the tenth part of an ephah. So far we've seen disobedience in both commands. And yet God continues to bear with his people patiently and graciously. We've seen that now in this narrative twice. Beyond the grumbling, we've seen God's grace to two instances of disobedience. Although we know, if we continue to read the Pentateuch, we know that severe punishment will come later when the people continue to grumble and disobey. And and what God is doing is he's showing his full nature. So if we go on to read Exodus 34, verses 6 to 7, it begins this way. 
The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Now, we sometimes put the period there, but that's not where the period goes. It goes on to say, But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So we see here a God of love, a God of immense patience and grace, but also a God who punishes sinners, a God of wrath, a God of judgment. Both are true of God, and both are packed into the revelation of his name. And throughout the the, the time of the wilderness wandering, both will be shown. We're seeing the first part, as it were, Later, we will see the second. Here we get a command that is fully obeyed, unlike the first two. God tells Moses to keep some of the manna as a memorial to future generations. The future Israelites must know how the Lord miraculously provided for their ancestors daily and weekly. But this miracle really does make all the others look small. You know, it's, it's, it's a little account here in the text, and we're tempted to kind of look at all the things that the Lord does day after day, but really, this is the greatest miracle of them all. God is now going to take one omer and not just preserve it for an extra 24 hours. He's going to take one omer and preserve it for all future generations, for hundreds Thousands of years. One of the interesting things that we ask is, where's the Ark of the Covenant today? Where's this bit of manna? Well, it's not a bit. It's an omer. But where is this manna today? We just don't have answers to those questions. They are fascinating, and they make movies about them and so forth. Uh, And kids, of course, ask that question uh, pretty early on. Uh, But we're just not told about these things. But we do know that the intention of the Lord was that this would be preserved for centuries, for thousands of years in perpetuity. For God's people to see and to know that he was their provider. Here we are also given more information about the manna. It is white in appearance and tasted like wafers made with honey. Uh, And that's really important for us to see, too. God's not giving them some bland survival food. You know, this is not a military MRE or something like that where you just have something, you just got to swallow it down day after day and just make it work. This is tasty. This is something that for the people would have been delicious. Having honey uh, was something that was, that, that, was, that was a real luxury, something sought after. And here, every day, they get this, this honey-infused tasting food. God is not just giving them survival food. He's giving them something good. So Moses tells Aaron to take a daily portion and put it in a jar and keep it before the Lord. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 4, we are told that the manna was contained in a golden jar placed in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, of course, after the the Romans destroy uh, the temple in 70 AD, we don't know what happened to that omer of manna. We don't know in the history of Israel uh, how that developed, but we are told here by the writer of Hebrews, after the time of Jesus, describing how it was contained and where it was placed. Now, since the ark has not been constructed yet, And the testimony, which is the tablets of the Ten Commandments, have not been given yet. It seems that these verses reflect a later time, kind of an appendix. 
Perhaps they're written by Moses at the end of his life as he's prophetically anticipating Joshua's conquest of Canaan. Or maybe they are added later by Joshua himself. The reference to the manna ceasing after 40 years brings us up to Joshua chapter 5, verse 12. And so there we read this. And the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer, longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. So God sustained them by manna every day. And then when he brought them into the promised land, the manna stopped and they were given a land flowing with milk and honey to eat from by the Lord's hand. I want to close this morning by bringing us back to John chapter 6. It seems to be the New Testament, the place in the New Testament, which makes the most out of this whole manna episode. And we read this in verses 32 to 35 of John 6. Jesus said to them, these are people who have just been fed miraculously by Jesus. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Give us that bread, Jesus. We want that bread. It's going to keep us fed always. Not to, we, we just had that great meal, but we want bread for tomorrow and the next day and for always. Give us that bread, Jesus. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Have you come to know that? Have you come to see that this Jesus Christ gives us the true bread from heaven. Every other bit of bread that this world has to offer is going to run out. Everything that this world has for us will perish. All of it will be insufficient to meet our needs. But this bread is forever. Jesus says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And of course, we know what that means. He will die in his body, in his flesh. He will die on the cross for our sins. He gives his very own body to be killed so that we might be saved. And as we come now, here in a moment to celebrate the Lord's Supper, we consider that the Lord's Supper is the picture of this. The Lord's Supper goes all the way back to what Jesus is saying here in John 6, and then it continues and goes all the way back to Exodus chapter 16. Every time we partake of the Lord's Supper, we are living out the fulfillment of Exodus 16 here today in our midst. Not just some distant, ancient story, from the ancient Hebrews, but something that has living power here for us today as we commune with Christ and with one another. Let's pray. Father, we give you praise for your word. We thank you for feeding us from it. Lord, we thank you for how it puts before us Christ, the bread of heaven, 
the bread of life, that we might feast on him forever. We thank you for this Jesus, and we pray, Lord, that you would be merciful to any among us this morning who do not know this Jesus, who have not tasted this bread, and who have not drank this living water. Lord, we pray for those of us who are in Christ that we would be assured of that, that we'd be encouraged in that, and that we would be ready to fight our sin and to live unto you obediently from the heart that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Father, help us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. It's in his name. Amen.